Good morning. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Well, I hope you're enjoying your uh, 4th of July weekend, however you're spending it with, uh, with friends, family, or, or just with uh, uh, those who live with you. I know my family, we took some time earlier this weekend on, on Friday to enjoy watching a new movie that was available on live stream. We watched the recorded version of the musical Hamilton. And it's one that I've actually enjoyed for the past few years. I really enjoyed listening to the soundtrack. Um, let me warn you, if you're going to check it out, there is a, a lot of language, so it, it's not for kids or anything like that. But I really enjoy it because I think it's a wonderful story of grace and forgiveness. And we particularly see that in Eliza, who was Alexander Hamilton's wife. And their marriage wasn't perfect. They had to work through a lot of struggles, infidelity, the loss of a child, But Eliza's devoted love for her husband, both in life and after he died, preserved and it extended his legacy. The reason why there's this musical Hamilton, the reason why we know anything really about Alexander Hamilton is because his wife worked so hard to preserve what he wrote. She told his story. And thinking about that kind of devoted love reminded me of the same devoted love that we see throughout Ruth chapter 2. So we're studying through the book of Ruth. Last week we talked about faithful love, and today we're looking at devoted love, about how love can still exist even in a world that is broken. If you don't know the story of Ruth, it's a story set in ancient Israel in a time of famine. A family living in Israel has to leave. A husband, a wife, and their two sons, they go away to the land of Moab, but while they're there, the husband and the sons die, and the wife is left with her daughters-in-law. She tells one of them to stay in Moab, and she starts on the way home to Israel. But one of her daughters-in-law says that she's going to stick with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and that's Ruth. And this is what Ruth says in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. We talked last week about this faithful love that Ruth is showing, not only to Naomi, but also choosing to worship Naomi's God and be a part of Naomi's people. So they arrive in Bethlehem around March, April. It's time for the barley harvest. And then we come to chapter 2, which will show us what devoted love looks like, particularly in the lives of three characters. Now, chapter 2 is a bit of a longer chapter, and I apologize to do it this way, but I'm going to read through the whole chapter right now. Those of you who are used to coming here to East Shore, I'm not going to ask you to stand because it is a longer chapter. I tried, there's not really a good way to break it up to read in chunks because I'm going to read the whole thing and then we're going to kind of jump around in the chapter to look at how three characters show devoted love. So I'm going to read Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, starting in verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. 
And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull some out from the bundles for her, leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. It was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time we have in your word this morning. I pray, God, that as we look at this text, we will see what devoted love looks like. May it remind us most of all of the devoted love that you show to us through the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ. May he be our focus. May he be the one that we praise and glorify today and every day. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.
So now that we've read the passage, I want to talk about some of the characters that we see in this text and how they show devoted love. The first character we're going to look at is Ruth. Ruth. And we're going to talk about Ruth's devoted love for family. Ruth's devoted love for her family. In this chapter, Ruth initiates a plan to provide for her and Naomi. They are both widowed women alone in this city that they haven't lived in Naomi for over 10 years. Ruth has never been here before. But still, Ruth trusts that God will bless, and so she quietly gets to work. She's determined to make something of her life. Her attitude here in verse 2, let me go to the field, glean among the ears of grain, kind of reminded me of uh, Rosie the Riveter, those we-can-do-it posters. She's a woman just rolling up her sleeves, and she's working to get the job done. What she wants to do is glean or pick up grain. If you remember last week, we talked about in chapter one that multiple times this word return kept coming, return, go back, come back, talking about how Ruth and Naomi are coming back to the land of God's promise. In this chapter, though, the word that appears 12 times is glean. So gleaning is the key thing going on here. This was a system that existed in ancient Israel. It was a way that the poor, sojourners, refugees, widows, orphans, really anyone who was marginalized, it was a way to provide food for them because those people could go to the corners of fields or they could go among fields where the harvesters had dropped stalks of weed or barley and they could gather it for themselves. We see this as commanded in God's law. For example, in the book of Leviticus, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather what you drop, the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. And God says, this is a big deal. He says, I am the Lord, your God. This also then shows up in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 24, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. God has shown how important this is. He talks about it twice, and he says it's how your work will be blessed. It's how God provided for the poor in Israel. It was a way to make sure that both the haves and the have-nots had something to eat. And it's really interesting what Ruth is doing here. She must have heard about this command or that this existed. And so she says, God says that the farmers are supposed to do this, so I'm going to go out in the field and trust that God's people are going to obey his word. She acts accordingly. After all, she knows I'm both a sojourner, I'm from a different country, and I'm a widow, so I'm entitled to pick this up. But she still knows that she needs to, as she says, finds favor. In the sight of him, I shall find favor. She needs an owner to give her permission to gather grain. This is kind of echoing a prayer that Naomi had earlier. Back in chapter 1, Naomi prayed for Ruth that may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and me. She needs someone to deal kindly with her. She needs the owner to say she could, and she needs the field hands to not stop her from gathering grain. She'll find that favor with Boaz, but really she's finding it from God. We learn more about Ruth's devoted love a little later. When Boaz shows up, he has a conversation with the foreman, the guy in charge of his harvesters, and he tells her, this is Ruth, the person who came with Naomi. And he also mentions in verse 7 that she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She continued working hard, or some translations say she was patiently standing there. She waited all day except for a short rest in a shelter. 
But regardless of whether she's working hard or she's just persisting, she's waiting there until she gets permission, it's still showing her spiritual quality. She is trusting that God will provide for her. And not only that, but her reputation has preceded her. Boaz has heard of this woman who came and joined God's people. We learn more about Ruth a bit later in verse 10 when she actually addresses Boaz. She says, after he tells her that she can gather, she falls on her face to the ground, says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? When she's addressing Boaz in this chapter and in the whole situation, she's she's modeling modesty, grace, courtesy, and showing her determination, her focus, and endurance. Ruth is a very courageous woman to go out by herself to get food, but she is also gracious and submissive when it's appropriate. And that doesn't make her weak. It means she's in control of her inner strength. She knows how to act in different situations. She knows when to be gentle and when to go and get what she needs for her family. And in this day and age, that kind of gentleness and reserve, that's not really prized as much. We value bold speech, somebody saying what they mean, sticking to it no matter what, and being very clear, outright with what they're saying. But we shouldn't underestimate the power of gentle love that Ruth shows here. Now, I'm not saying boldness is bad. We need to be bold, stand up for truth. But we also shouldn't underestimate what God can do through gentle love. It's often more effective at persuading others. And she works hard all day. We see in verse 17, she gleaned until evening, and then she beat out what she had. She gathered together everything, and it says it was about an ephah, which doesn't mean anything to us, but according to scholars who looked at it, that means it's about five to five and a half gallons of grain, or about 20 quarts, about 30 pounds of wheat or grain. So she worked hard all day. This was food for at least two weeks for two women. And she also said that she took some of the food she had left over from lunch. She saved some of her lunch in a uh, 1100 BC doggy bag and brought that back home to her mother-in-law as well. We're still seeing her being generous and kind. Even with all this work she's doing, and she was working very hard, she's still thinking about caring for her mother-in-law. Naomi is very impressed with this. She says in verse 19, her mother-in-law said, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? She's impressed with the amount of food. This was a woman who last chapter said, God has sent me away full and brought me back empty, but she's not so empty now. We're starting to see things are turning around for this family. And Ruth continued in this hard work. She worked all through the harvest, the barley harvest around April and May, the wheat harvest a few weeks later. She kept working every day because they had to save food for the time of the year they couldn't gather it. So in all of this, we're seeing Ruth's devoted love for her family. And this is something Boaz notices. He says in verse 11, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother, your native land, came to a people you did not know before. He sees there's something different. He notices this is a woman who God has changed her heart. The lives, the loves of Christians, of God's people, should look different to others. It should be a quality that draws people in. There's something different about these people. They work harder. They love harder. They're consistent, diligent, devoted, faithful. These are the traits that we should look for to try to develop in ourselves and the traits we should look for in others, especially if we're in a particular stage of life. Now, Ruth is not a guide to dating. Ruth is not a guide to to dating for today, but it's still a good idea if 
you're in a stage or know someone who's in a stage interested romantically to ask about someone, to learn about someone's character and what people say about her. That's what Boaz says, all that you've done has been told to me. I know I tried to model that when I first met my wife. I listened, before she was my wife, I listened very carefully to what her friends and family said about her. And they had all good things to say, so I pursued a course of action. Ruth, though, is a model woman. She's devoted to her family. She expresses devoted love, especially to her mother-in-law. She's willing to do whatever it takes to take care of her family, and we should too. Now, you may say, Pastor John, my, my family's not really around here. Well, if you're a follower of Christ, you also have a church family. That's a family to take care of and to do whatever it takes to provide for. So who is your family? How do you take care of them? If you want to reflect the devoted love that we see from God, that we see through Jesus, then loving your family is a great place to start. The next step would be to model the next character we see in this chapter. That's Boaz. Boaz is the next character. And we see Boaz's devoted love for the struggling. Boaz's love for the struggling. We're introduced to this man in verse 1. The narrator highlights this is someone to pay attention to. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan her husband was in, whose name was Boaz. He is worthy of excellence and standing. He's a man of character. It may mean that he's also a man of wealth, position. He has influence and strength. But this word worthy is also a word that's used for Ruth. We see that in the next chapter. Even though she's a poor woman, Boaz will say, I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So the word's really talking about character. This is someone who cares for others, who shows devoted love to others. Boaz, will also learn, is an ancestor of King David and an ancestor of Jesus. In the New Testament in Matthew, we read about Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David and the king, on down to Jesus Christ. A few verses later, when Boaz shows up in verse 4, most translations have something like, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. The author's saying, here he is, this guy Boaz I just told you about. He's here, he's on the scene. What is going to happen? And his very first words are the common greeting of a man who knows and loves the Lord. He says to the reapers, the Lord be with you. This is a man who acknowledges that the Lord is present even among a simple task as doing daily work. Even when they're out in the fields, God is with them. He's the one who provides, who gives them the means they're able to work and provide for themselves and their families. It seems that Boaz is a man who wants his workers to know and to rely on the Lord. His workers having a relationship with God seems more important to him than his bottom line, how much money he's able to make. Now, he's also not blind. He recognizes that there's someone else here, as he says in 5, whose young woman is this? He sees that there's someone else here, a woman of marriageable age. He's curious who she is. And after he learns from his foreman who this woman, Ruth, is, he addresses her with compassion, grace, and generosity. In verses 8 and 9, he says, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go to the vessels, drink what the young men have drawn. 
He calls her my daughter, probably reflecting somewhat of an age difference or just a kind of polite term like how we might say miss today if, we're, if a man was addressing a young woman. Ruth is granted an immense privilege. Remember, the law said that if you drop something, that that was for the poor and sojourner, or that you just left the edges of the field, but Ruth is allowed to come right behind the gleaners and harvesters. So as soon as they drop something, she is able to get it uh, for her food. What would happen is the men would go through and they would cut bundles of grain or barley. Some women would come by behind, gather them up, into sheaves, groups of of wheat, but sometimes some would fall, and that was what Ruth was able to gather. But Boaz does more than just this. He also recognizes that this foreign woman who's new to the area, that she might be taken advantage of or that other men may not respect her, so he reassures her that none of his men will taunt her or treat her roughly. He's taking responsibility for her. In reality, this is probably the first anti-sexual harassment policy that we see in the world. Boaz is instituting it for his workers who do not mess with this woman. He values, he respects others, even this woman that he just met. And he says she can help herself to the workers' water. Remember, you didn't carry water around with you. Water wasn't as accessible as it is today. There wasn't a fountain you could go to. You had to go to the well, draw it up yourself. And he's saying this Poor woman, you can take the water from my well that my workers bring today. And that's why Ruth is so grateful for Boaz's gift. Again, in 10, she falls on her face. She bows to the ground, says, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? Since I'm a foreigner, I'm not an Israelite. She wonders why Boaz is acting this way. Why is he treating her based on her need instead of her social status? Even in this day, people were treated often not what they needed, but who they were. But Boaz tells her, he has heard about her commitment to Naomi. Again, he says, all that you have done has been fully told me. He knew her good intentions. And the buzz around town was this was a kind and courageous woman. If you remember, we discussed last week, Ruth's decision that she made to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem, it really didn't make sense in that day. This was a woman who left behind everything she knew to care for her mother-in-law, to go far away, never see her family again, and probably never have any hope of marriage. She'd have to work hard and live in poverty all her life. That was something that did not make sense. But that kind of devotion to Naomi and to her God and to her people, it, it made her attractive. There's something different about this woman. So Boaz says in 12, he says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz asked the Lord to repay her loss of family and country by giving her a new family and a new people to belong to. He asked the Lord to give her a full reward, probably hoping, expressing a desire that she will have offspring and a family. What Boaz doesn't know at this time, though, is he's going to be the answer to both of those things. He will be the Lord's protective wings. And that's such a wonderful picture of protective wings, how a bird protects her young, their young in the nest. This is an image that pops up throughout Scripture. In the book of Psalms, Psalmist said, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Jesus uses the same image in the book of Matthew. He's speaking to the people of Israel, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that kills prophets, stones those who are sent to it. 
How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. We see God's heart to lovingly provide for and protect his children. And that's what Boaz is saying by referencing this. Ruth is now God's child. She has made her allegiance known and he's reassuring her. Ruth is humbled by this. She speaks of herself as a servant in verse 13. I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants, one who works for you. She puts herself in a humble position because Boaz has dispelled her fear and uncertainty. He has comforted her. He has put her at ease. She may have been working so hard in the morning because she thought that maybe she wouldn't be allowed to work in the afternoon, so she worked really hard, but he said, You can still work hard, but you don't have to worry. You can stay with my people. He comforts her the way that God comforts. In Isaiah, God says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. But again, Boaz does more than this. What has he done? He's given her permission to glean. He's said that she can drink water. He said the men will not hurt her. He's said that you, a prayer that you'll find favor. He's comforted her. He's spoken kindly to her, but he's not finished yet. He goes above and beyond in his care for Ruth. First, he extends hospitality. He invites her to share the meal with them at lunchtime. And this is highly significant. It is a clear sign that she is welcome. She is welcome among God's people because she can eat with them. He serves her nice bread. He gives her grain and food enough that she's able to take some home with her. Again, the wings of God's refuge is continued. And then he pulls his foreman aside in verses 15 and 16, and he says, let her glean even among the sheaves. She can gather right behind her men. And he says, also, pull some out from the bundles. Leave it for her to glean. Do not rebuke her. He's asking his men, you know, ever so sadly, just pull some out and and drop it behind her. Now, is this an extra generous provision? Is this a romantic overtone? Probably a little too early to be romantic, but Boaz is clearly showing that he loves to bless others. He treats Ruth with respect. He desires to protect and provide for her. He's not belittling who she is or what she's doing. He could have said, here, I'll just hand you some grain. There there you go. She wants to work. She wants to provide. And she says, here, let me help you to do that. All of these things are above and beyond what would have been required. Remember, the law just said what's required is that you leave the edges of the field, you allow people to pick up what you drop. But Boaz is going above and beyond that. It reminded me when we were growing up, we had a sign on our kitchen table that said this, honor is doing more than what's expected. And that's what we were told to do. We were told to honor everyone that we meet. And that means you do more for them than what is expected where you go beyond what is asked. And that is what Boaz is doing. This will lead Naomi later when she learns who it is. She gives a common expression of praise for him. She says in verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. So again, a phrase common in scripture. In 1 Samuel, King Saul says it. He says to a group of people, may you be blessed by the Lord for you have had compassion on me. It's a call for God to express his goodness to those who trust in him. And it's also a reference to God's loving kindness. He loves his people no matter the cost. But there's something interesting here in this verse 20. Naomi says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken 
the living or the dead. Now, some translations will tell you who that kindness is a reference to, but it's actually kind of ambiguous. And so I like how ESV puts it here. Is Naomi talking about Boaz's kindness? He's shown a lot of kindness to the family. Or is it talking about God's kindness? Well, the truth is it's, it's both are going on here. Boaz has shown kindness, but God will show more. The living will be blessed with new families and marriage, and the dead will have their family name continue. Naomi also points out that Boaz is one of their kinsmen, a family redeemer, a close male relative obligated to help. That may explain some of Boaz's actions. He knew that he was supposed to help. They were supposed to buy back land, pursue justice, and in some cases, as we'll see later, also marry a widow. And as a young unmarried woman, Ruth was vulnerable to assault or harm. So when Ruth tells her that he told me to stay with his reapers. She said, well, you should do that because in another field you may be assaulted. Ruth is experiencing the kindness that God's people receive from him. One of the most beautiful passages about this, about why God shows kindness to his people, is in Deuteronomy 7. It says, you are a people holy, set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And why does God do this? Well, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But he did it because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God chooses to bless his people because he loves them. And so when we show kindness, compassion, and care to others, we are modeling the grace that God has shown us. And in here we see the real test of our spiritual maturity. The real test is not how we treat people who are rich, who are famous, or people who can do something good for us. No, the real test is how we treat the poor, the marginalized, someone who can never do anything for us. We should value and respect others no matter who they are or where they are from. We live in a world that wants to assign value to people based on a wide variety of things. I've noticed now that yard signs have become a lot more popular. I'm not just talking about political ones because, of course, it's, it's that season. But people will put a sign that says, I believe in this, 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 and this. And I'm not saying anything's wrong with that or that I disagree with every person who does that, but I wonder if there's a, a reason for that is a cry out for value. I'm valuable because I believe these things, because I do these things. But the truth is, what you believe, what you do, that doesn't assign you your value. We are to treat every person with devoted love. Love is unconditional care. It's not perfect agreement. It's not insulting someone with names. It is sharing gentle truth. And that type of devoted love should be what makes us attractive to others. Again, in Boaz, we're seeing, as Ruth was an example for women, Boaz is an example for men. He desires to respect, protect, and provide. That should govern every man's interactions and affections, not based on what they can get, but out of desire to respect, protect, and provide. So, We've seen devoted love in Ruth, we've seen devoted love in Boaz, but in the background, there's another character at work in this chapter. 
The third character whose love we see is God, God's devoted love for us. And there's really two ways we see this, if you're using the fill-in. And one way we see God's devoted love is in His providence, His providence. And providence is just a fancy word meaning God's loving control. And the verse that really shows this is one of probably my favorite verses in the book of Ruth. It's verse 3. Talking about Ruth, she said she wants to glean, and she sets out, she went, gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened. She just so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. This is kind of an ironic statement from the author. It's God's providence. It's meant to draw our focus here. The word is, it's happened, it chanced as it turned out. In Hebrew, it's literally the happenstance that happened to her, or the chance that she chanced upon was to end up in Boaz's field. One Bible scholar, uh, Daniel Block, puts it this way. He says, in reality, the narrator is screaming, see the hand of God at work here. She didn't just happen here. God is in control. And we might say, how could this have happened? Wouldn't she have some idea? Well, some of it might be we have to get our understanding of what we think a farm looks like kind of out of our heads. Here in America, you typically have a farmhouse, and the fields that surround it belong to the people who live in that farmhouse. But in the old world, in the ancient Middle East, and even in Europe, the way they did fields and farming was a little different. You didn't have your farm and the land around it. Everybody lived in a little town or a little city, and the fields surrounded the town. So if you were someone new in town, you had no idea who owned what field or or not. There really wasn't anything to tell you or show you. You just walked out into the fields. And that's what Ruth did. She just walked out into one of the fields outside of town, and it just so happened to be the field belonging to Boaz. She finds herself in the field of a gracious redeemer. And on the other hand, there's also some just so happened with Boaz. We get the idea he's someone who loves to care and provide for others from how he treats his workers. So he's just showing love to someone who's struggling. But Boaz and Ruth and even Naomi, they have no idea how God is going to work in their lives. Because the truth is God is in control of our lives. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We even see this in the New Testament. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. This type of providence and control we see in this chapter. What's interesting in the book of Ruth is the characters speak of God often. Boaz says, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you. But there's no big miracles in this book. There's not something miraculous. There's no Red Seas being parted. There's no people being healed. There's no food miraculously multiplying. This is really, for the Bible, this is a pretty ordinary story. It almost seems like God's not involved. But his purposes are hidden. They are still active. Ruth selected a field randomly, but God did not. It reminds me of what Paul tells us in the book of Romans for Christians. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And that purpose is those that God foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
God works all things together for his people's good. But that good isn't what we want or what we define as good or that things are easy or simple. That good is that we are made or conformed to be more like Jesus. God works to make his people like his son. We can also see this providence and even the connection between these two people, Boaz and Ruth. Uh, Again, Daniel Block said, Boaz is kind to Ruth because Yahweh God has prepared his heart for her. In all of these things, we see God's providence. And like these characters, we are involved in God's unfolding plan. And from our vantage point, we cannot see how every detail fits in. From our perspective, there are many things that just seem to happen to us, or we just happen to go here, we just happen to go there. But God's loving control is in all of them. Pastor Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, little do we know what may happen to us tomorrow, but this sweet fact may cheer us, that no good thing shall be withheld. Chance is banished from the faith of Christians, for they see the hand of God in everything. The trivial events of today or tomorrow may involve consequences of the highest importance. Something that seems small to us may be used by God for something great. So let me tell you what I was thinking about as I was looking at this. I was thinking about my life. I was thinking about the world around us. And the truth is, I don't know what God is doing. I have no idea. I don't know what the point of coronavirus or or any of this is. I, I really don't. I don't know what the point of the pain and the suffering in the world is around us in my own life. I don't know how they fit. I was really, still am, really, honestly, wrestling with it. I said, why, God, is this happening more times in the past week than, than I have in a long time? Screamed, I cried, I don't understand the purpose of what God is doing in the world, what he's doing here in the church, and what he's doing in my life. And, and maybe I never will. But this book reminds me that God does know the purpose. And so I can neither be upset that I don't know, or that I can trust that he does, and I can choose to worship him. I know that he's in control because places in the Bible like this show me. One pastor, Sinclair Ferguson, put it this way. It says, if the whole Bible, the Bible as a whole, is saying, come up here, see how God is on his throne, working out his perfect purposes, view things in your own life and times from his point of view. God's word gives us a view that we often don't see on our own. And when life is hard, we can trust in his providence. Isaiah 50 verse 10 says this, Who among you fears the Lord, obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. I needed that. This idea, though, about God's providence, it also gives us wisdom about how we make decisions and how we can live our life. It's a reminder to us that a decision we make that seems just normal, Ruth just picked a field to go out into, God is still in control of that. We can act and trust God. Two scholars, Joseph Colson and Sean Harrison, they put it this way, the top quote, God works through ordinary choices to provide for those who trust him. This tells us a lot about how God works on our behalf. His will is fulfilled as we act. We don't have to sit back and wait for it. 
As we make decisions, we can aim to honor God and know that His purposes will be fulfilled. Now, we may not understand all of it, though, until much later. As the Puritan John Flavel said, the providence of God is like Hebrew words. It can only be read backwards. Hebrew is a language you read from right to left instead of from left to right, like English. So sometimes, in fact, I'd say almost every time, it's only after the event that we can look back and say, ah, that's what God was doing in it. When we're in the middle of it, we can't really see it. So with things in the world or in my life, I struggle to see what God is doing, but I have confidence, as he has in the past, as he does here, that afterwards can look back and say, oh, that was what he was doing. Finally, this chapter also shows us God's loving kindness, his loving kindness. Again, as Naomi said in verse 20, she said, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. God keeps his promises. He blesses his people even when it doesn't look like it. Even when we are strangers to him, even when we rebel against him, he loves us. As it says in Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were rebels against him, when we rejected God's reign and rule, he still showed his love for us. There was a time, even those of us who know God now, that we didn't, that we were an enemy of his. But even in that time, God showed his love by sending his son to die for us. And that means any blessings we have in our life are only from God's grace. Anything good we have is not something we earned or were able to get for ourselves. It's a blessing of God's grace. It is in Christ that God's loving kindness is poured out on us. And when we have this view in mind, we can truly say, like the psalmist does in Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man, the woman against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's the devoted love God has for us. When we were enemies, when we rejected him, we rebelled against him, he still showed love for us. He did whatever it took to take care of us, He extended grace to us in our struggles and suffering. So let me ask, is that a love that you know? Do you know that love of God? He expressed it through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one that he sent to live a perfect life, die on our behalf so that we could be restored to a right relationship with God. Yes, Ruth 2 shows us example of devoted love in Ruth and in Boaz, but The main way it shows us is in God's providential love and control. How he was in control of what was happening, even the field that Ruth went to, he still has that same love and control for his people today. And if you're not a part of his people, I'd encourage you to be a part. Learn who Jesus is. Ask me or get in touch with me. You can email me at the church or get in touch with someone who can tell you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He shows devoted love to us. And so our response to that should be to praise and worship him, reflect on his love, and worship him.